Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, Battle Ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O most holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore thee profoundly. I offer thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference by which he is offended. By the infinite merits of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to be with you today. Today is the feast of St. John of the Cross, the great Carmelite reformer who partnered up with Teresa of Avila to uh, bring about an extraordinary change and new zeal within the Carmelite order. It also is my parents' birthday today. Yes, I said parents. They have the same birthday, but just a year apart. Uh, so happy birthday to you, mom and dad. Uh, let's talk a little bit about today's gospel because it, it is, you know, Jesus speaks constantly within these scriptures and we hear these things day in and day out, year after year, and we tend to just take them with a grain of salt, but we really should look at the words and, and, and wonder, wonder at what he's saying. Uh, because they're often extraordinary, unprecedented uh, moments of wisdom, and we just kind of gloss over them at times because we've heard them all before. But let's listen today. It's a short one. Today's gospel comes from Matthew 11. Jesus said to the crowds, Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent are taking it by force. All the prophets and the law prophesied up to the time of John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, the one who is to come. Whoever has ears ought to hear <coughs> the gospel of the Lord. So there's a lot in there, you know. I mean, any one of those lines you could probably dissect for quite some time, Uh but let's begin with, uh, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. That's quite uh, an accolade coming from God himself. And what does he mean by that? So, first of all, what he's saying is of all the prophets, you know, that have come, and there's been many, you know, Elijah, um, Daniel, uh, many, many, many prophets, Ezekiel, Elisha, Jonah, they were all pointing towards the moment when the Messiah would come. But this prophet, John the Baptist, is the one who's actually pointing at Jesus directly, saying he is the one. So John gets the great privilege of not only announcing that the Messiah is coming, but actually pointing him out in the crowd. 
and he, and he goes a step further. Jesus asks him to baptize him. So he's the only man that baptized God. Imagine that. So John has got great privilege here. But then Jesus says something even more striking. In the same breath, he says that the least in the kingdom of God is even greater than John. Well, that sounds like a bit of a contradiction, does it not? So we have to kind of understand what's happening here. And what about his mother, Mary? We know she's greater than John. Why wasn't she uh, included in this? And I'm, I'm wondering if it's if the original translation was pointing more to uh, men. But who knows? We know Mary is greater. Uh, but what what is he speaking about the least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, there's a lot to unpack here because... Of course, we believe John was baptized in the womb when Jesus uh, would have, uh, in a supernatural way, come to John in the womb of his mother Mary when she visits Elizabeth. So John would have been born uh, without original sin because it was removed in the womb, but he was created with original sin. That's uh, another reason he could be considered greatest of all because he would have been the only prophet the only person uh, up to that point, except, of course, for the Blessed Mother, who would be born without sin because it was removed in the womb. So another reason. Uh, yet, yet, John would not ever get to participate in the sacramental life of the church. And this is a great uh, point to underscore because many people don't realize the great gift that the church is. You know, I've been saying this for a long time now, how there's a lot of indifference towards the church these days that we live in. Uh, and there's also a lot of hostility appointed at the church from many parties. You know, Jesus said, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. The, uh, people have always either loved or hated Jesus. It's just the way it is. I don't understand hating him because he he did nothing to hurt anybody. He only came to set us free from sin and death. How can you hate that man? You would have to be greatly deceived into thinking something else, or, or you're an agent of Satan. And of course, then you would hate Jesus because he's come to destroy your kingdom. So that's the, the two parties I would sum up. You're either very ignorant and deceived, or you're working for the devil. Those two groups uh, generally do have a, an issue with Jesus and his church. So John, <coughs> excuse me, John uh, had this great blessing of uh, being the one to point Jesus out and also to baptize him. But then John has to go away because Jesus has to take center stage and John fades off in the distance and eventually is rounded up and thrown in prison and beheaded, decapitated. Uh, he died a martyr's death. But he did not get to participate in the sacramental life of the church because, of course, the sacramental life of the church begins with uh, Holy Thursday, the Last Supper, when the Eucharist is confected for the first time, and then through the Passion, Death, and Resurrection when the sacramental life of the church is born. It's born on the cross, where the sacraments flowed out in the blood of Jesus. Uh, and John wouldn't have been able to partake of that. But we can. 
So even the least in the kingdom of God, and we would say the church is the kingdom of God in, in this world, <coughs> even the least can be greater than John because we get to participate. We get to eat and drink the body and blood of God himself. We get to go into a confessional and have our sins wiped away forever. John couldn't do that. So this is the great gift the church gives us. And if Jesus is saying John is the greatest born up to that point in history, that's a long list of, you know, holy men and women. And John is the greatest. But we can be even we're even greater because of what's been given to us by the power of the passion, death, and resurrection, and the formation of the church, and the distribution and ministering of the sacraments. And so you you need to have a better understanding of this great gift that he gives us. We need to contemplate the gift and develop tremendous gratitude for it. Because imagine that you send your son into the world as an offering for all the sins of mankind, and your son dies this cruel and abhorrent death on the cross. And then in just a short amount of time, uh, a great indifference begins to develop by many, many people, many people. And today it's, 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 it's crescendoing to a great swell of indifference towards Jesus and his church. Now, I understand people can be angry with the church for the various faults of its people. The church itself is holy and immaculate, but many of the people within the church are not. Uh, and I get it. You can be angry. You know, if you're angry, get those feelings out. It's good to get your feelings out. Don't hurt people by getting them out, but get them out. Uh, go to adoration and pour out your heart to Jesus, telling him how you're so angry with what you see happening in the church. You can do that. But don't leave the church. You're leaving him. You're leaving him. It's him. He's the head of the church. It's not Francis. It's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. So when you walk away from the church, you're walking away from Jesus. And I hear you people all the time. God bless you all. Father, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, so I don't go to church. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what he asked us to do. So if you really love him, if you really love him, you're going to listen to him and do what he asked. You know, he said, do this in memory of me. And when they all started walking away, when he was talking about his body and blood that must be eaten, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. Uh, many people walked away. Many people that were following him walked away. Uh, and he said to his friends, oh, will you leave me too? And Peter says, no, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he still does today. So it's important that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. You don't want to get in a place where you're cutting off your own nose to spite your face. And that's what that's kind of what you're doing if you are walking away from the church. Because right here today, we're hearing Jesus' own mouth proclaim that we, we are greater than the greatest because of what he's given us in the kingdom of God in his church. And it's the sacraments that he's pointing to because there's nothing greater. The Eucharist is God himself. So, you know, how can you walk away from that? 
How can you walk away from that? Yep, it's happening. And uh, among those people, you know, just recently, I think it was in the news yesterday, uh, Anthony Fauci, the great, uh, what do we want to call him? I don't know. He's not the the, the great vaccine doctor. Um, he did an interview with uh, the BBC where he said that his own personal ethics on life are enough to keep him going on the right path. His own personal ethics. Well, that sounds like all those people who say I'm spiritual but not religious. Let me tell you who else is spiritual and not religious. Satan. He's pure spirit, but he does not obey Jesus. It's kind of the same thing. So you just got to be careful. It's very easy to be deceived, you know, very easy to be deceived. So I now Dr. Fauci's moved on to my prayer list because he's being deceived. If he thinks that his own moral compass is enough to get him to heaven, he's greatly deceived. Because, you know, Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to give us new life. And you can't manufacture life, Dr. Fauci, can you? I don't think so. So, everyone, put him on your list. Let's pray for Mr. Fauci that he would come into the fullness of the truth and return to the sacramental life of the church. That would be a good thing. So let's talk a little bit more about this scripture today. Because Jesus then goes on to say that the coming of the kingdom of heaven, he equates it with violence. And, you know, John himself would know that violence because he was beheaded for speaking truth to power, thrown in prison and then beheaded. And if you think about it, since John's martyrdom right up to the present day, uh, there's been much violence and persecution at the hands of violent men against the church. And again, I'm not saying the church is perfect in everything that the church has done over the 2,000 years. But again, you know, you can't blame Jesus for sometimes the cheap labor that he, he employs. And I say that with, you know, respect to, to all the priests and bishops and cardinals throughout the 2,000 years. You know, we're all sinners. Mary was the only human being, human uh, person who was not a sinner. So, you know, sin creates problems. Sin creates chaos. Sin creates uh, evil. So we have to be aware of it and strive for holiness. But, you know, the the great attack against the church is far greater than the, the damage the church has done. The church has done a lot of good. If you really actually go and look up what the church has accomplished over the 2,000 years, uh, it's quite extraordinary, you know. Uh, just to think of universities and hospitals alone. Catholic Church started that. So uh, it's, you know, there's a lot there that the church has done that's just been, you know, incredibly uh, wonderful. 
And that's just, you know, that's just a, a small component. You know, when you think about all the people who have found their way to heaven through the Catholic Church, uh, it's uh, it inspires awe to think about that. Think about all the people who at their moment of death had a priest show up and give last rites that brought them back into communion with God. Uh, I had one this morning. 2.40 a.m. The phone rings. And I just stared at it thinking, who's calling me at this hour? But I answered it and it was the hospital. And they said, there's a Catholic man dying. He, he needs you to come. So I got up and went and I anointed him and I absolved him and I gave him the apostolic pardon. And I'm pretty sure that man, his name is Bobby. I'm pretty sure Bobby is heading home. He's going home to see the Lord. And so what a great gift that he had that that ability to to have that sacrament just, you know, moments before his death. And there's been millions and millions and millions, probably billions over the 2,000 years who've also had that privilege. So there's nothing greater than to reconcile man to God and bring God to man. There is nothing greater. If you're thinking about becoming a priest, contemplate that. Who else gets to bring God down from heaven and hold him in their hands and then minister him to people? Who else gets to wash the soul clean the moments before death and reconcile them back to God so they can go home to heaven? Who else wipes souls clean in the confessional? Like nobody. It's really an extraordinary uh, gift to mankind, the, the gift of the priesthood. And it's something that, you know, I think about often, particularly, you know, like this morning, 2.40. No one wants to get up at 2.40, but you get up because there's there's a soul waiting to go to heaven and he needs a little help. So you got to go. And uh, good good for Bobby. We'll keep Bobby in our prayers. <coughs> this is the... This is the thing John didn't experience while he was on earth. And this is why Jesus is saying, even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Uh, so back to a little bit of the suffering. You know, the enemy, your enemy, if you sum it up, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a threefold prong attack. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they come after you. You know, particularly Christians, particularly Christians. If you've ever read uh, the book of Revelation, chapter number 12, it's all spelled right out there. I think it's the last line. Yeah, then it's verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Talking about the Christians there, we're the children of Mother Mary, we're her other offspring besides Jesus. When he gave her to us at the cross, we became, uh, first of all, we're Jesus's brother by baptism, which makes Mary our mother by virtue of Jesus being our brother. But then also at the cross, he deliberately gives her to John representing us. So our mother, we are the offspring that the devil, the dragon, the serpent is waging war against. Particularly the Christians. 
That's who he wants to take down the most. You need to know that in order to live properly in life because people, they're constantly perplexed by the ongoing trials, tribulations, and crosses that pop up in their way. But if you're leading a really devout and holy life, you know, the target on you is even bigger. You're a threat to the kingdom of Satan. Praise the Lord. You should be so excited to be a threat to the kingdom of Satan, you know, and you plus Jesus equals victory every single time, every time. So do not be afraid. Continue, continue down that path. That's that, that road that leads you to the narrow gate because, uh, the war is ramping up. I mean, I think everybody can sense that, that the world is kind of being whipped into a frenzy of all sorts of chaos and uh, cataclysmic events. But, you know, we know how this ends. We win. That's the end of the story. Go to the end of the Bible. We win. Those who are faithful to Jesus in the end, we are winners. And there's only two categories. Winners and losers. And the winners will be forever rejoicing in heaven, praising God. And the losers will be wailing and grinding their teeth in hell with the biggest loser of them all, Satan. So I hope people think about these things. I hope people reflect more about, about the great gift of the church to the world, the great gift of the sacraments, the great gift of the Eucharist. We're in a Eucharistic three-year promo. I, I mean, that's how it was pitched to me. We're going to promote the Eucharist for three years. It's going to end with a Eucharistic conference. It's going to be amazing. We're going to we're going to ramp up more adoration. We're going to teach about the Eucharist. We're going to bring more reverence into the church. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I don't see much changing anywhere. I mean, occasionally you see a poster when you walk in a parish. It's the revival of the Eucharist. Oh, really? How are you reviving it? What are you doing? I'm not seeing it. I got an email last night about going to the, the Eucharistic Congress next year. It's it's fairly expensive, I'll be honest. And I think already most hotels are sold out, so you're going to have to get a hotel an hour away. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's nice to go to the icing on the cake with the cherry on top at the end of the three years. But what did we do for these three years, you know? We have adoration every day but Sunday. Sunday's too busy with all the masses going on. But two hours every day. And the people come. And they adore Jesus. And you know what happens when you adore Jesus? And you spend time with him. And you tell him how much you love him. The grace comes down from heaven and it seeps into the walls of the church. I've seen this happen. And not physically but I've seen the effects of this. And then on Sunday, when all the, the rest of the parish comes, that grace seeps out of the walls into the people and hearts are transformed and people grow in, in love and virtue. And a lot has to do with those moments in adoration. One of the saints once said that every, uh, adoration, Eucharistic, adoration uh, experience sends grace out to touch every soul on the planet. 
Can you imagine? You go to adoration, even if it's just for 20 minutes, and God's sending out graces to touch every soul on the planet? I don't know. Seems like that would be a very wonderful thing to do. I can't imagine God would not be pleased. I mean, he's He's so pleased you come to see him. But you can't outdo God in his generosity. And so what does he do? He turns around and starts pouring out grace on everybody. Just the most wonderful person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. You got to tell somebody about him today. Call somebody up and say, hey, when's the last time you encountered Jesus face to face? Most people would say, I never have. (laughs) But you can do it. Bring them to adoration. Find adoration near you. And bring a friend and just sit them down in front of Jesus. And uh, many lives get changed that way. People get transformed in the presence of God. How could you not be? And you'll have done a great act of heroic charity and kindness by bringing somebody to Jesus. That was the vocation of Andrew. Remember, we just celebrated Andrew. That was his vocation. Brought everybody to Jesus. You can do it too. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing out. Thank you so much for listening to the Radio Maria podcasts. It's thanks to listeners like you who donate that enable us to continue delivering quality content to listeners around the world. If you'd like to contribute and help us keep spreading the message of Our Lady's Son, please consider making a donation. You can reach us at 888-408-0201 or simply visit our donations tab on our website at radiomaria.us. Your generosity truly makes a difference. This has been a Radio Maria production.